Uh, let me pray, and then we'll look into God's word this morning. God, we are uh, we're grateful that the Spirit is um, part of the authorship of the church, and we pray that your Holy Spirit would show us and speak to us anything you want us to see or learn from the Bible so we can understand what it means or how you want us to become women and men or girls and boys that walk uh, in the fullness of your spirit inside of us. That's who we want to be. And uh, we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. So we're going to jump to September 17th in the year about 580-590 BC. All right, we're jumping way back here. I'm just jumping right into scripture here. And then I'll, well, I'll tell you where we're going with this. Um, the hand of the Lord was on Ezekiel. So it, we're, we're going to look at some stuff in the book of Ezekiel, but we're going to connect it to the book of Acts like we had the last few weeks. Um, God's people, I'm just giving the context, I'm going to flip a verse up here in a second. God's people were in exile, most of them, uh, exile in Babylon, which is modern-day Iran, Iraq area. They had basically, um, you know, the Babylonians had kind of come to smash Israel and Judah, and they took a lot of people in exile. So the book of Ezekiel starts with Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel, being... Uh, somewhere in Babylon, uh, by a certain river, actually, is, is how the book starts out. And God's people are in a traumatic situation because they'd rather be back in Jerusalem, but Jerusalem really is no more. Their homeland is decimated. They're in the middle of... So the context is... Uh, and the reason that their homeland is decimated is that God allowed the Babylonians to judge his people because they had so much strayed away from God. All right, so that's the context there, all right? <clears throat> but I'm going to start with one of the verses from Ezekiel, and then we'll talk about it, all right? Then on September 17th, during the sixth year of King Jehoiakim's captivity, King Jehoiakim's captivity, while the leaders of Judah were in my home, but they were still in Babylon, the hand of the Lord was upon me. That's been the operative phrase the last few weeks, the hand of the Lord being upon people. The hand of the Lord was upon me. In the book of Ezekiel, it's said at least seven or eight times. The hand of the Lord was upon him. The hand of the Lord was upon me. And like I said, from a couple weeks ago, we're talking about that. But then go on to this. I saw a figure that appeared to be a man. And it, I left some description out. But the figure has, the bottom is like flaming bronze. The top is like a big flame. And the, and the clear sense that most people understand to be is Jesus. He sees in a vision Jesus. But here's what happens next. He reached out what seemed to be a hand and took me by the hair. I read through Ezekiel this week, and when I came upon that verse, I kind of chuckled out loud. I was like, so he had a vision where he sees this dynamic figure that's Jesus, and he reaches out and grabs Ezekiel by the hair? It's like, couldn't have much to grab on me, but they had long hair back then, but it's just like, okay, what's... And this is just one of many, I'll just use the word bizarre things that Ezekiel's a part of in the book of Ezekiel in terms of when the hand of the Lord is on him. And so I just wanted to start with this, just kind of like, hey, what's, what's going on in the book of Ezekiel? And again, the operative term is the idea of the hand of the Lord being on us. So we do, we've been doing this ongoing series about honoring the Holy Spirit. So we went through the book of Acts, looking at places where the Holy Spirit was active or talked about. But then there's a passage in, go to the next slide here, in Acts 11 that I told you last week, it captured my kind of obsessive imagination. Um, when, 
were said, it was told us that the hand of the Lord was with them. It's the church in Antioch, but the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. So the question I asked that week, as well as last week, was how do you get the hand of the Lord to be on a church or on a church in Bloomington? Because I think all of us would say we, we would love to see a number of people believe and turn to the Lord in Bloomington. People you work with, your neighbors, your friends, people you know in Bloomington. Um, not in, most churches aren't interested in just growing from transfer growth, but what would it look like if the church in Bloomington grew with more people believing and turning to the Lord? And it seems like this passage, if you just kind of follow the, the logic of the sentence, is the hand of the Lord being on them somehow had a huge effect of people turning to the Lord. So how do you, and the question I posed last week and two weeks ago is how do you get that? on you? What does it mean to have the hand of the Lord on you? Even if it's just not on us, the church, but on you, what does it mean that the hand of the Lord is on your marriage, or the hand of the Lord is on your business, or the hand of the Lord? That actually is kind of part of what the, the Bible talks about, the hand of the Lord that way, that when the hand of the Lord is on you or with you, and it's a clear sense of the Holy Spirit being on you or with you. So like we did last week, we're going to look at the Old Testament, because then I did, I did a I did a search of all the places in the Bible where people talk about the hand of the Lord being on them. And last week, if you weren't here, I talked about Ezra and the hand of the Lord being on Ezra. And like I said last week, whenever we look at that, we're going to keep a finger on, I have two Bibles up here, keep a finger on Acts 11, on, go back one, back here to, keep a finger on Acts 11, and we looked last week into Ezra and the hand of the Lord was on him. And that meant God gave incredible provision and protection for him to go back to the homeland and rebuild. But we also remember, if you remember from Ezra, the way the hand of the Lord was on him clearly said in the book of Ezra because he sought the Lord and he obeyed what God told him to do. So transferred us today, the hand of the Lord becomes on us if we seek him. And I challenge you to do something different in how you seek, sought the Lord, but also if we obey the word, you know, we are people of the Bible, we read the Bible, we understand the Bible, we try, we try to obey what God's saying, all right? So, in that sense, the hand of the Lord on, means provision, but we get it through obedience and seeking God, all right? So, that was Ezra. Now we're going to look at Ezekiel, because the hand of the Lord being upon Ezekiel is more times than what Ezra says, and those are the two primary Old Testament references that also shows up in Isaiah, but Ezra said it a lot, and Ezekiel says it a lot. And Ezekiel says many times in different forms, the hand of the Lord was upon me. So again, we're asking the question, not simply to understand Ezekiel, we're going to go back to you know, where our finger is on Acts 11. And I said this last week, that anytime we study the Old Testament, the point is not just to study the Old Testament, it's study the Old Testament so it helps us with understanding the new. If we, if we don't go back to Jesus and the gospel, then we're just preaching a good moralistic Jewish sermon. But if we start with this and go to this, because everybody who, would, everybody who read the book of Acts when Luke wrote this down, if they were Jewish people, they would know right away, oh yeah, Ezra talks about that and Ezekiel talks about that. So they would have had context of what, of what uh, Luke meant when he said 
the hand of the Lord was upon the church, all right? So now, in the book of Ezekiel, let me just give you some examples of times where the hand of the Lord is on them. And this is different. Last week with, with uh, Ezra, kind of liked the hand of the Lord being on Ezra because he had incredible favor with the pagan king, money, protection, anything he needed to go back, he got. And so if you are like me, it's like if the hand of the Lord means that, I'll sign up for that. Provision, protection, opportunity. This is different this week. I'm just telling you, this is different. All right, Ezekiel's hand of the Lord be on him is a little more challenging uh, for me, at least, and I think it will be for you. All right. So I'm going to just there's like seven or eight times. I'm just going to talk about four of them on this just one slide where the hand of the Lord is upon him. All right. So one in Ezekiel chapter three, verse fourteen, we're told the Spirit lifted Ezekiel up, and he followed the spirit and he says in bitterness and turmoil and the hand of the Lord was upon him so the hand of the Lord is on him but he doesn't have a good feeling about this alright and God says he puts his hand on him and Ezekiel has this vision and God says Ezekiel you are a watchman for the people and then God says this in Ezekiel whenever I tell you something you tell you repeat it exactly to my people as a warning to them. Because God's not happy with it. They were totally idolatrous and things like that. But So the hand of the Lord on Ezekiel in this first passage is, you're going to be a watchman, and you say exactly what I say to my people, and you warn them about their lives right now. Seems kind of heavy. But Ezekiel knew. Actually, sometimes the passage is translated... And instead of the hand of the Lord being on him, sometimes it's translated as, and the Lord took hold of me. It's kind of the sense if you're walking somewhere and somebody behind you grabs your shoulder from the back, it's, you can't ignore it. And that's the sense that, that the Spirit of God, God took a hold of me. He laid his hand on me, and he told me, whatever I say, you say exactly to these people. Whatever words I give you, you repeat it as a warning. All right? Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 22 says, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he said to me, Arise, go out in the valley, and there I'm going to talk to you. So again, the hand of the Lord is upon Ezekiel. He has a, a vision, a kind of a picture in his head that's happening. And this is where God starts saying some odd things to him, right? God tells Ezekiel, I want you to tie your, have yourself tied up with ropes. And for 390 days, I want you to lie on your right side. Because he's, he's showing the 390 years that Judah will suffer on, because of their sin. But Isaiah has to lay that way for 390 days? And then he lays on the other side for 40 days, because that was Israel's number of years of sin. But not only that, he was supposed to... This is just It's bizarre when you think about it supposed to get a brick and build a toy model of the city of Jerusalem in front of the people and then smash it. Kind of like building a Lego of the temple in Jerusalem and then smash it in front of the people and say, this is what's happening. And then he was told to shave his head, put a third of the hair on this little model, and then blow it away and say, so will God blow you away. I mean, this was all things Ezekiel had to do in front of the people. He was told to ration his own food and water for those total of 430 days. 
And he, could, he had to cook his food. This was another one of those odd things in Scripture. We think it has to be inspired if it's included this way. He was supposed to cook his food with dried up human dung. And Ezekiel says, well, I feel like that would defile me, God. And God said, okay, you can use cow dung. It's like, well, that's great. great. No, I, but it's like all this stuff that God's saying to Ezekiel. And the hand of the Lord is on him. This, is, this feels different than Ezra, who had like provision and protection and opportunity when the hand of the Lord was on him. This is part of the hand of the Lord being on an individual, Ezekiel, or if it was on you and me. We're like, I don't, I don't know if I'd like this, all right? So then Ezekiel chapter 8 is the next one. Stay on this slide, yeah. It's the one we read when we started off um, in September 17th. Hand of the Lord was on me. God says the, the, the figure reaches out and grabs him by the hair. And this figure, which is Jesus, takes Ezekiel to a place in his mind's eye, a vision. And he says, do you see this, what's happening with my people? And what he sees is detestable idolatry of his people. God says they're murderers, they're sexually immoral, they're greedy, they lie. And one other thing he said was they're sacrificing their children in the fire. It was an ancient version of abortion in a sense. But he said, do you see this? And then he even said, in this phrase I want to, he said, do you see their idolatry in their dark rooms? And I thought about that and I thought about maybe you and me. Is there any idolatry you have in a dark room that nobody else knows about? But you know exactly what that idolatry looks like for you. But God is showing that to Ezekiel because his hand is on him. He says, do you see their idolatry in the dark places? And do you see this? God keeps saying to Ezekiel, do you see this? Do you see this? Do you see this? Because God's like, my people are not fulfilling their end of the covenant, the relationship with me. But again, I'll go back. Any idols? Do you have any idols in dark rooms that God wants to expose not for the sake of rubbing your nose in it, but for the sake of your freedom. I'm just, that phrase just jumped out at me this week. I read, I read the whole book of Ezekiel this week. It's 40 chapters long, but I was just trying to get a sense. But that phrase stuck out to me. All right. Then Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 1, he also says, The hand of the Lord is on me. And this may be a passage or an imagery you might remember if you grew up in church circles, but if not, that's okay. And he brought me, the Lord brought me out out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley that was full of dry, dead bones. And God says, so he shows this that valley of dry, dead bones, like almost an open graveyard. And then he says to Ezekiel, can these bones live again? And the dry, dead bones was obviously God's picture of what his people were like at that time. They were very religious, but they were murderers. They showed contempt toward each other. They lied to each other. There was sexual morality that was being tolerated, and they were sacrificing their babies in fires. And God says to Ezekiel, is this redeemable? And Ezekiel's response to God was, well, you alone know. See, because the whole book of Ezekiel, God's telling Ezekiel to say these things to his people. It's like, 
It's almost overwhelming. It's not almost. It is overwhelming. Like, say this to the people. Say this to the people. Say this to the people. But then this passage, I, I like to anchor us. He says, can these bones live again? Well, God, you, you alone know. And then God says, breathe. And God breathes into the bones. And you might know the song, them bones, them bones, them dry bones, them bones, them bones, them dry bones, right? Because the bones start coming together. Life happens inside of them. They, flesh comes on them, muscles in and all of a sudden, they're a living army. Because God's basically saying, I, this is my people, but that's not what I want. I can, I can redeem them and put them back whole again. Because sometimes in, the, in this book, let me tell you all. Well, here's, here's the principle first. Go to the next slide. Here's the principle of when the hand of the Lord is on you, as opposed to Ezra, which was provision, protection, and everything going great. Sometimes when the hand of the Lord is on you, God might ask you to do something you'd rather not do. Or say something you'd rather not have to say. You may, have to, you may feel like God wants you to have a conversation with somebody that you really don't want to have, but you know it needs to be said, and you know ultimately it's for them to be alive I know I've talked to some of you in here who have told me about conversations you had to have with people that you felt like you needed to say something to them to challenge them. But in this case, I mean, Ezekiel's not only saying, he's doing things. Like, who wants to sign up to be Ezekiel, right? We'd all sign up to be Ezra. Wow, the hand of the Lord, I want that hand of the Lord on me. I don't, I don't want this one. Bummer for Ezekiel. But Ezekiel had to say and do things, eating food cooked over, cow dung, laying on his side for 430 days. Now, I'm not, I, as far as I know, God isn't, has asked, called any of you to do something that bizarre. But if the hand of the Lord is on you, he will ask you, or might ask you, or will likely ask you to do something you'd rather not do. And, and that's the part that's like, okay, it's hard to grab onto. Because like I said, we want go back to the book of Acts, finger on the book of Acts 11. And I do have my Bible open to Acts 11 because I want to remind myself that's where we, is we want people to turn to the Lord. We want to hand the Lord on us as a church or as a church in Bloomington. And we love when the, that hand means provision and protection from God. Not sure we like the part where we have to say or do things that are uncomfortable. With a certain end in mind. All right, not just all right. So, let me go to the next slide here. Actually, go back, go back to this one. Go back to this one, all right? I want you to read this white part with me, and instead of you, say me. God might ask me, all right? Here we go. Ready? Go. God might ask me to do something I'd rather not do. One more time. God might ask me to do something I'd rather not do. All right, and again, it makes God sound like this angry dad or angry mom who's just like, I don't know. But we know the heart of God. The Old Testament God isn't different from the New Testament God. We're not over here and God had a bad day and now God has a good day in the book of Acts. Because you remember, what did Jesus do in the temple? He was flipping tables and opening up and flashing a whip around because they were abusing. They were not following God. What did Jesus do when he headed into Jerusalem for the last time? He stopped and he wept over Jerusalem. And he said, if only 
you would listen, but now your walls will be crushed. So if, if somebody's trying to convince you the Old Testament God is different than the New Testament Jesus, he's the same. Father, Son, and Spirit were around all the time. But there's hard things that Jesus says to people, especially people that think they're religious, like us, right? There's hard things. So there's, there's a, go to the next slide now. So there's a lot of places in the book of Ezekiel where God says, and I will do something, all right? And again, I was reading through it, and I noticed that, and so I thought, I'm going to go back and look at all the I wills that God's going to do. I'm, I'm, I'm saying this up front because I'm wanting to see the, the balance of how God is, and God's end goal, all right? God's end goal is not simply to hurt us because he wants to make sure we know he's God and we're not, all right? But these are some of the things that he said he will do, and I'll just start reading them. Because of people's detestable idolatry, greed, murder, sexual morality, lying, showing contempt toward people, all right? This is what he said he would do. This is probably the first 25 chapters of Ezekiel. I will scatter them. I will make their food scarce. I will punish you publicly. I will show you no pity. I will turn you into ruin. I will shower deadly arrows of famine on you. I will bring the sword of the enemy against you. I will smash your pagan shrines. I will kill you in front of your idols. I will crush you. When I was even typing this this week, I had to kind of come up for air. It's like, wow. I will unleash my anger. I will call you to account. I will turn my eyes away. I will repay you for your sins. Break down your fortress walls, bring the sword of war against you, cover you with blood, judge you, examine you, purge you, set you on fire, pour out my fury on you, hand you over to cruel men, turn my jealous anger on you, splash your blood on the rocks, put hooks in your jaws and drag you away, and I will melt you down. It's like, I kind of feel like I have to wash my hands, right? It feels heavy. So it's like, well, again, that's Old Testament. God. No, it's God. Jesus was there, right? But let me give you the bigger I will. The reason those I wills are there is because the bigger I will is this. God says this. I will give you, in Ezekiel chapter 8, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. That's the heart of God. That's his end game, even in other places in Ezekiel, it says, God says, I'm going to restore you. I'm going to remember my covenant with you. I'm going to reaffirm you. I'm going to revive you. So, yeah, God may do the purging in our lives. He may put us through things that purge us. But it's not because he's, again, just wants to remind you that I'm tough and you're not. That's not God. This is his end game. I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to give you a new spirit. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart. I'm going to give you a tender, responsive heart. That's the heart of God. That's his end game, but you can't separate that from the other I wills of where he wants us. He will purge us. He will purify us. And those are times we don't like. I don't like them. If you like them, something might be wrong with you, right? We don't like those times. But it's, it's part of the heart of God. And so, again, now let's go back. To, to Acts, all right, we're going to back where our finger figuratively has been, Acts 11, all right? 
And the Lord was with them. Again, this was the church in the city of Antioch. Great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. So if we, Exodus Church, or if we, for the sake of the church in Bloomington, all people in Bloomington are the spirit of Jesus in them, if we want to see great number of people believe and turn to the Lord, which I think we do. Again, think about individuals that you know, friends, family, co-workers, neighbors, that you think, well, they're, they seem really far from God. I can't imagine. Well, just maybe. Maybe that's what God can do if the hand of the Lord becomes on us as a church or on the churches in Bloomington. And yes, that means God provides incredible provision and protection like Ezra, but we need to seek and obey. There's a, there's a condition, because God's not going to put his hand on somebody who's dirty in that sense. But then we read from Ezekiel that his hand on us may mean he's going to ask us to do things we'd rather not do. But again, his end game is people believing turn to the Lord. Because we think, and understandably, and probably rightly in some ways, we think, well, the way to make people turn to the Lord and believe is let's be relevant as a church. Let's, do, let's connect with the culture and be relevant and do what, so people esteem us. Yes, but Jesus spoke to religious people and challenged them and kind of rebuked them and purged them. And again, I'm not saying we need to have that demeanor toward people. But even in the book of Acts, they preach about Jesus clearly, and they teach about obedience clearly. And the hand of God doesn't come on people who pick and choose what they want to obey God about. Hand of God doesn't come on a church who is more concerned about our reputation among the world than we are about a reputation before God. That's a big deal, right? Don't we want God to kind of esteem us more than we want the culture of Bloomington to esteem us? I'm not saying we're there. I'm just saying sometimes we have to, be, we have to check ourselves on that. Because Ezekiel, obviously, <laughs> if, he, if he was concerned about the rest of the Jewish nation esteeming him and saying, wow, he's a cool prophet, we're cool religious guy, that ended after about three chapters in Ezekiel. He was no longer cool. He was saying things that... He was the one who even told the Jewish leaders, God knows about your idolatry in the dark places. The religious people, he wasn't saying that to the pagan Babylonians, he said to the religious people, God knows about your idolatrous things you do in the dark. But again, the heart of God is he wants to see people believe and follow, but he also, it's a big deal to God, and it should be, that he's holy. And sometimes holy gets a bad rap because we think of holier than now which means stuffy and arrogant and but i'll end with this in the book of ezekiel this is another thing i and when you read through a whole book you start seeing themes god is obsessed and i mean that in a good way he's obsessed with talking about his glory all right the word glory the hebrew word is kabod but it means weightiness you know, we think about, what well, we want to glorify God. Well, what does that mean? It means we want to make God look as grand and glorious and powerful as he really is. We want, him, we want people to see the total being of who God is, his goodness, his forgiveness, his power, his might, all those things. 
But God keeps saying, I want you to see my glory. I want you to see my glory. I want you to see my glory. And God's like, I'm not going to show my glory to anybody who's half-hearted. And then in response to that, there's probably, I think, eight, nine, ten times in the book of Ezekiel where when Ezekiel sees the glory of God, he falls down on his face. He says, I fell face down. I fell face down. I fell face down. To the benefit of Bible software, I can search that phrase in the book of Ezekiel, and I was like, wow, he was falling face down. Because he was falling face down in front of the glory of God because there was something pretty powerful there. And again, it's not simply God showing, showing his power. It's God showing the totality of who he is. And every single one of us, if we understand that, myself included, we want to see the glory of God because it, it encompasses his love, his power, his forgiveness, his mercy, all those things. And I'm doing this because I'm imagining this large flame of fire. It's like, that's what we want. We want that. But God's like, you can't have that if you only pick and choose what you want to do and what you want to obey and what part of Christianity you like and what part you don't like. It's all or nothing. Because God's like, I want to show you everything. I want you to see my glory. And so when I think about... Uh, you know, I don't know if I'm, I don't think I've talked to too many pastors in Bloomington that would talk about growth in their church happening because of non unsafe people becoming Christians. I, I don't know that I've heard that, and I've been here for 25, 40, 30 years, 40 years, 30 years. I don't know how old I am, whatever. I don't know that I've heard that. I don't know if I've heard of church saying, hey, we've had a lot of people that have never gone to church before, they're following, they're believing, and turning to the Lord. I just haven't heard that. Well, I'm not saying people aren't becoming Christians. You might know people that are new Christians. But it seemed like a great number. I don't, I, that hasn't happened from what I've been around. So it seems like for that to happen, the hand of the Lord needs to be on us. Not better techniques, better music, better preaching. It's the hand of the Lord being on us. Which means we, and maybe it starts with us, starts with me, starts with us, we, Exodus Church, understanding what God wants of us and he doesn't want us he doesn't want this blind legalistic obedience and that kind of stifles us and makes us boring dead people he wants the kind of obedience that makes us fully alive awake and free and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit has free reign through us to start changing the lives of people around us simply because his spirit's in us and we say and do things that the Holy Spirit tells us to do that's how we honor the Holy Spirit and we pray that for other churches some sometime in the next few weeks I don't know when I'm going to have postcards made that we're all going to try to sign that we mailed other churches and this verse is going to be on it. We're going to pray the hand of the Lord will be on your church. Sherwood Oaks, Emmanuel Baptist, St. Paul Catholic, uh, whatever churches, you know, we're going to pray the hand of the Lord will be on them and kind of we know what they were saying when we asked that. We want God's provision, His protection, but we also want God to be God and have the, the holiness that people, that He wants in them which means they're alive, they're awake, they're free, they're distinct, they're pure, and they're powerful. Um, holiness is distinct, pure, powerful. That's holiness. It's not boring and stuffy. It's distinct, pure, powerful. All right? So, why don't you close your eyes? And, God, we're going to... We want your hand to be on us. And 
Thanks for, thank you for Ezekiel. Thank you for his, his willingness to kind of follow your, uh, follow your lead. And we want your hand on us. And we want, we're, we want to be able to ask that without any conditions. So will you do that work in our hearts so we can ask for your hand upon us on our lives, on our marriages, on our businesses, on our financial worlds, we want to ask for your hand on us, but we give you no conditions. Because we want you and your hand to be on us, not just part of your hand, not just the part we like. We want all of your hand to be on us. We want that to be on our church. We want that to be on the churches, the Christ-centered churches in Bloomington. We want your hand on them. And would your spirit work and we want to see many people, a great number from the book of Acts, a great number of people believe. Because we know that that's what you want. And we know that for whatever reason, you entrusted us with that mission as well. People becoming alive, following you. Because they see Jesus in a new way. Because of us. And we ask this, Jesus, um, in your name and for your glory, and so people can see you, Jesus, as you really are, and they can see you in all your power, mercy, forgiveness, and glory. And we ask this all in your name, Jesus. Amen.